Hello, friends, and welcome to the Bikes for Death podcast. My name is Patrick, and I'm your host. And on today's episode, we have a special guest, Pepper Cook, also known as Book Bike Brew on Instagram, is my guest today. You probably are familiar with her with 20,000 Instagram followers and being a staple of this bike packing, bike traveling uh, community for quite some time now. She's known for her puns and her quirky, witty humor, uh, sometimes some ukulele playing, her Spoon the World project, and of course, um, all of her bike adventures that she's done, most of which have been done solo. The day before she and I sat down to record this episode, um, she made a very heartfelt post on Instagram about some real things uh, that really... Uh, shed some light on some real personal struggles that she's had uh, with mental health and depression, anxiety. And um, so this conversation, we delve into that pretty well. We really get to see Pepper as a person and understand her, her better and understand, you know, we talk a lot about how Instagram is not reality, you know, and that behind that, those puns and that big smile um, and all the bike trips that uh, that she is going through stuff. And uh, her personal happiness takes a lot of work. Anyway, I don't want to uh, put words into her mouth or uh, go over it too much. But I just wanted to note that these kinds of conversations to me are so valuable. That we make that distinction between who we are as real people and this this image that we put on social media. I hope that you get as much value out of this conversation as I did. I truly appreciate her coming on. So thank you, Pepper. Good luck to you at your new uh, spot out there in Alaska. And we'll all be following along your journey. If you've been following along, you know that this show is free from advertisers. I'm not going to jump in 20 minutes into the episode and say, Hey, this episode is brought to you by blah, blah, blah. Blah, blah, blah is good because of blah, 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 blah. I'm not going to do that. But I do spend a lot of time trying to produce a high-quality podcast for you. This bikepacking community, the people out there that are uh, looking to get into it, looking to be inspired, craving the outdoors and living vicariously through other adventurers and bike packers and bike tours and just really rad people that are out there doing amazing things all over this planet. Um, I get so much value out of them. I hope that you are as well. If you're so inclined and you'd like to support the show, do me a favor and head over to bikesordeath.com. There's several ways that you can support the show through becoming a Patreon, through a one-time donation on PayPal, uh, buying merchandise. And a big one is uh, very simple. Just a, a simple iTunes review or rating goes a long way in helping other people find these inspirational stories and put them out there, get them into the ears and the minds and the hearts of other would-be, could-be, or should-be adventurers. Thank you for tuning in. That's all I got, so let's get to the show. You load up your bike, you ride away from home. You could be with your friends or you could be alone. Ride for a day or maybe more. You just love being in the great outdoors. Everything you need is strapped to your bars, including that new pillow you got from Santa Claus. And then you think, oh shit to yourself. You left that super lightweight tent on the living room shelf. Bikes. 
Hey, Pepper. Hey, how's it going? Good. How are you doing? I'm doing good. I just got off work and rushed home to have a fun, fun, <laughs> fun interview. <laughs> yeah, you just had a big move. So where are you now and where are you working? Um, so right now I'm in Anchorage, Alaska, and I'm working at a super busy, really old kind of historical landmark bike shop up here called The Bicycle Shop. <laughs> nice. How has it it been working there? Like you got there right before all the COVID stuff or uh, right in the midst of it, Uh, but it's pretty recent, right? So what's that been like? Yeah, so it's actually been really crazy. So I, right before this, I, um, as we'll talk about later, I finished the Baja Divide, but I was living above someone's garage in Seattle. So I moved up here about a month ago, sort of like right when COVID hit really hard in Seattle and Seattle became the epicenter. And I had to quarantine for two weeks when I arrived here. Um, And I had kind of a gnarly cold too. So everyone was pretty afraid of like being near me, (laughs) understandably. Um, Where did you uh, crash out for two weeks? Um, so I have amazing new housemates and um, everything was arranged for me before I got here through internet friends. So um, yeah, I got here and already had a really cool share house lined up. So I'm living with three really fun bike people and they felt comfortable enough with me even coming from Seattle to let me just move into my new room and then just kind of like try and wash my hands a lot and cover my face and Um, so I was really lucky and I got to be like in my new home to quarantine, which was amazing. And we like really bonded during quarantine together because I was home (laughs) all the time. So we played a lot of board games and drank a lot of beers. (laughs) Awesome. Well, you're obviously healthy and doing well, right? Looks, looks that way. Yes. Awesome. Well, uh, I have to tell you, I'm actually like a little bit nervous interviewing you because uh, I've been following <laughs> you <laughs> for a long time and uh, I don't get the butterflies very often, but I, I remember the fr- whenever I found out about you was on the Dropper Post uh, podcast. Oh, you remember yeah. that? Yeah. You were episode 12 and then they just like, I, I don't know what happened to them. You were the last episode. Do you know oh, that? Oh, really? Yeah. No, I didn't know that. And also, um, the dropper post was sort of through a friend of a friend. So um, I kind of was doing it more as like a favor to those folks for um, they're friends with one of my oldest friends in Boulder, Colorado, where I went to university. So yeah. um, I just kind of said yes to it without knowing much about it. And <laughs> so that's crazy. I didn't know that they just sort of dropped off like that. Yeah. So. I don't- I was going to ask you if you knew what happened, but uh, that's no. how I found out about you, and I've been following you ever since. And, uh, oh, no and kidding. Actually, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. All right. So I've been doing a, like, getting to know you round, just, like, five quick questions, just, you know, as kind of a, a, a icebreaker. That's what it's called. Um, when did you know you were punny? Oh, geez. That's really hard. Um Gosh, when did I start really annoying people by playing with language? <laughs> um, well, I graduated with English Lit as a degree. And I also, I really love like learn, trying to learn new languages when I move to different countries. So um, I've always liked playing with language a lot. But especially I've really started 
making good puns. I feel like when I, I lived in South Africa pretty briefly and the um, Afrikaans language is super playful and really funny. And a lot of the jokes kind of work in English and Afrikaans. So um, I guess that's when I really started looking at puns as like a hilarious art form and people yeah. love it. Like I was talking to a customer today about um, going tubeless and I was like, oh yeah, like um, this is the sealant we use. It's kind of the industry standard because it was stands. <laughs> and the nice, guy was nice. stoked and I was like, yes. <laughs> so yeah, I don't know. There, it's like kind of a fun icebreaker, I feel like in a lot of situations. Yeah. And but You're like, um, I you're still, like the like, uh, queen of dad jokes. Yeah, totally. For sure. I love I dad love jokes. It. So, yeah. yeah, yeah I, well, I mean, you're like kicking the dad's asses. I think, I don't know, they yes. need to step aside. <laughs> <laughs> okay, how tall are you? Um, I am just over six foot tall. So I'm kind of a hair under six foot one. So yeah. pretty tall. Uh, I ride big bikes. <laughs> yeah. When did you learn to ride a bike? Uh, I learned to ride a bike in elementary school. So probably, I think maybe like second grade, probably. I, uh, I asked that one because my youngest daughter just learned to ride a bike today. Uh, <gasps> oh my yeah. gosh, really? Congratulations. Big, oh, that's so day. special. Yeah, that <laughs> is a big day. It's life changing. She's three years, three and a half years old. Uh, oh my gosh, that's so young. I know it's, uh, I, I've been trying, but, but she's a badass man. She's a total, oh. like she's, she's cool. She's a cool kid. But anyway, oh, we're not going to so <laughs> Oh my gosh. That's so sweet though. She's what a pretty great. Oh, uh, she's going to be for sure. Uh, how many bikes do you own? Um, so actually right now I just own one bike. It's crazy. I'm not surprised so. by that. You know, I was gonna, I was kind of curious with, how, especially in the last few years, you've been very nomadic and moving around. Yeah. Uh, so I'm guessing you don't own very much stuff. Like how much everything you own fits in like what? So everything I own fits in basically two duffel bags and a bike box. And that's it. <laughs> two duffel bags and a bike box. <laughs> yeah, amazing. but the bike box... The bike box, though, is, like, packed to the rafters. Like, I don't even yeah. think I could fit an extra T-shirt in there if I had to. So, yeah. Dude, I saw that on Instagram. Uh, yeah, you were actually pretty proud of that. And you could yeah, tell it I came am. from lots of practice. I mean, you're getting good at this. Yeah, definitely. But I think this might be one of my last times, like, I don't really want to do that anymore just because it's so stressful because you do accumulate stuff. And the last time I moved up here, I had to give away a lot of really beloved house plants. So my plan for this season in Alaska, so my job is seasonal until uh, August. And then I was thinking about doing like a bike touring surf mission, driving south for the winter and I actually just got my first driver's license um, about a month ago. So I'm 30 oh. years old and I can finally buy a car. <laughs> wow. Congratulations. So, thank you. So you're one step closer to being a real adult. Kind of. Yeah. People always think <laughs> I got like a DUI or something and that's why I ride my bike everywhere. <laughs> but no. I've saved a lot of money though. That's for sure. Oh, yeah. I mean... 
you're not going to get any argument from me or anyone listening to this podcast. Yeah. Cars suck. Bikes are the way to go yeah. all the way. <laughs> yeah. I think when what I buy my first car, I'm going to tell people I got a recumbent. It's like an electric <laughs> motorized recumbent because you're kind of laying back in it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's like similar position. <laughs> yeah. You just, yeah. You just push the one pedal and you go. Exactly. What, what do you look for whenever you, well, you've moved. So you were in Australia for people who don't know you were in Australia, then you move and you were there for like seven or eight years. Then you moved to uh, Seattle and I feel like you were only there for like a year or so. And now you're in, uh, Alaska. So I'm curious, like, have you been chasing something or what's been precipitating those moves? Um, so a lot of it is just sort of an inability to say no to a good time. So <laughs> like <laughs> if I, I kind of have this like constant FOMO in life and I feel like if you get offered something right now, while I'm young and I have no bills, I have no real responsibilities. I don't have a car. My phone is pay as you go. That $40 a month is like my only committed bill. So yeah. I just feel like while that's the way I, I'm living, I should say yes as much as I can. So before Australia, I was living in New Zealand for like a year. And then I met some friends there who they're, they were from South Africa and their visas were ending. And they were like, you should just come down and to Cape Town with us and like visit. And between my two passports and kind of finagling a little bit of visa situation stuff, um, sort of under the table with the two passports, I was able to stay there for like a year. And that whole time I had a return ticket back to New Zealand. But again, I didn't really have any stuff. I did, at that point, I didn't even, I just sold the bikes I had. So I actually was on the plane with just a backpack flying back to New Zealand. And then I had a long layover in Australia. And I realized sitting in the airport that because I didn't check any bags, I could just leave the airport and live in Australia. <laughs> so, so I did that and I was on a layover there for like seven years. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Just like totally under the radar. Yeah, kind of. Well, so I've got a New Zealand passport. So I um, just walked out and just got a bike shop job there and ended up living there for, yeah, like seven years. And then I started getting kind of worried about how much fun I was missing out on in the States with like the Baja Divide Trail, which obviously isn't in the US, but starts on this side. And then all the summits as well. Uh, I was getting invited to come speak at them, but flights from Australia were just insane. So I was like, okay, after this year, I'm going to move back to the States for a year and just like check it out. And if I don't love it, I can always come back to New Zealand or, or move somewhere else. Yeah. Um, and then while I was on the Baja Divide Trail in winter, I got the invite to come and work up here in Alaska. And they were like, we've sorted you a house to move into and a job, just say yes. And you just have to be crazy to say no to a job in Alaska. So yeah. I said yes, and here I am. Wow. <laughs> so they this company saw you out to bring you up there? Um, yeah. So actually, um, I met a really cool person named Grande at the WTF Summit this year. And um, she was kind of like, oh, yeah, we've got these seasonal gigs up in Alaska and you can just come up here and work like every day of the week, like 10 hours and just make a ton of money and then take the winter off and then yeah. come back in the, se the summer season. And yeah. so I was like, oh, that seems kind of crazy. And then I met Lael at the bikepacking summit, Lael Wilcox. 
And I was kind of talking about how I wasn't crazy about Seattle and I was sort of thinking about a next move. And she literally whipped out her phone and like texted the manager of the bike shop and was like, do you have any jobs going this summer? And I was like, whoa, 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 this is crazy. I'm not moving to Alaska. Like, this is crazy. (laughs) Yeah, you are. And then I, I went on the Baja Divide solo and I had so much time to think about life and where what I wanted to do after the Baja Divide. I just had too much time to think. And I had a lot of other options I was sort of considering. And I was like, I just don't want to do anything serious right now. I'd love to just keep like not being a grown up and just move, like run away from home up to Alaska and just like go have a blast this summer. And they also told me you can ride bikes until like midnight here in the summer because the sun doesn't set. So I was like, well, I'm not going to say no. (laughs) I'll regret it forever if I say no. Yeah. So one thing that I really um, respect and admire about you as I've followed is how you've, you've cultivated this life where, you know, what it looks like to me is you work these seasonal gigs and then when you can, you save up money and go on a trip and then kind of repeat the process. And, and, and having not a lot of stuff is able to facilitate that. You're not spending your money on a lot of stuff. You save it, you go on these cool trips, you come back, you do another one. Is that kind of right? Yeah, kind of. So um, in Australia, I worked really hard during the summer and then um, just said yes to every shift and kind of pulled like long days and then at the end of the season, usually they would cut hours in the winter because no one was really busy enough to keep you on the whole winter. So it sort of worked out and I would take my savings and take a month off and bike tours are so cheap. So like if I put my stuff in a friend's garage for a month and then you go on a bike tour and really your only expenses are food and the flight because I just wild camp the whole way if I can. Mm -hmm. So, um, it's pretty cheap way to adventure, but, um, this year was like the most time I've ever had off work. And that was due to selling a bunch of just extra kind of camping stuff. I was even like selling t-shirts and stuff to scrape it together. I remember that. Yeah, totally. So, um, so that worked out really well. And then, uh, but this year, now that I know it's possible to take multiple months off, if you really just scrape it together the rest of the year, I'm trying everything I can to save money. So no bars, like we're just having garage beers and yeah, definitely scraping it together. So that's smart. I love that, man. Yeah. I, I did my food bill. I mean, I have a family, but I looked at my food mm-hmm. bill on a monthly basis, $1,700. Yeah. 1, it's that's gnarly. We were, we were eating out way too much. So I stopped. Yeah. I'm like, no, we're going grocery shopping. We're not going out to bars. Like you said, it's yeah. Uh, it, it just eats up your money, you know? Eats up your money, the food bill. <laughs> but I'm <laughs> Thanks for catching no, that. That's, I can't stop myself. You know this. <laughs> no, you're good. But you're it good. really does, it. though. Like, I pack a lunch to work every day because in Seattle, a lunch in the city was like $20. That's $100 of your paycheck every week that just goes right. to lunch only. Right. Definitely yeah. don't have money for that if you want to take yeah. a bike trip and something I say all the time is it doesn't just happen. You know, you have to work to make it happen. You have to make sacrifices. Um, How long have you been living this kind of lifestyle uh, where you've realized the value of 
making these tours and these trips like a priority? Um, well, so the first month long tour I ever took was about seven years ago in Australia. And that was the first time I realized it was really possible to not work for a month because I've been working full time since I got out of high school pretty much. And so I just never thought that it was possible to not work. And we're so trained by society and like everyone's expectations. You're an adult, like you just work. And then one Mm -hmm. day you retire. And I was like, well, what if I get sick one day before I retire? Like I want to live my life now and see things while my body can still handle these trips. So my first trip I ever took was um, from Brisbane to Melbourne and then down around Tasmania in Australia. And that was about a 40 day long ride. And, uh, after that, after I saw how easy it was and how cheap it is, I just, I had so much fun and it was so easy. I didn't, on my first bike tour for 40 days, I didn't get a single flat tire. (laughs) And, and like, I had no stories at the end of it. Like everyone was like, that's a crazy trip. What happened? And I was like, every day I slept in my tent. Then I woke up, I ate something. I rode for a few hours, ate something else, rode for a few more hours and went to bed and nothing (laughs) happened. (laughs) Wow. So what made you go on that trip initially? I mean, um, you don't, you don't just go and do something like that. Like what, what led up to that? Um, so when I was looking for a new bike at my bike shop job, I fell in love with this steel bike that came stock standard with bamboo fenders and it was really cheap. And so I bought that and then I started doing overnighters on it. It was a, it was called a wayward Nullabore. It was an Australian company. And so I started doing overnight trips on that and having a lot of fun because I love camping, but I don't drive. So it was really the only way to go to different campsites. Uh, And in Australia, you can go and take the ferry to all these really beautiful islands and go camp the night. And it's like a short trip. So I started doing overnight trips. And then I started kind of dreaming up what it would be like to do a week-long trip. Um, And then I, at that point, I I had my first serious girlfriend. And I dated her for like two years and it ended pretty badly with um, her sort of um, have like falling for someone else basically um, while we were dating. And that same week, my job contract ended and my house deposit and my house contract went up for grabs. And I was always kind of looking at my next big adventure and I was pretty upset. So I kind of was like, well, everything really that's tying me down right now just ended in one week. And I've got this awesome new touring bike and I'll just start riding south because you can't get lost. There's only one road, really. And so you just keep the ocean on your left, basically, and just keep riding every day. And so I just did that. I just got on my bike and I at that point I had I had like the standard kind of four pannier vibe with so much shit on the bike. I like after the first couple of days, I was just giving stuff away like left and right <laughs> to try to lighten the bike. <laughs> I had, like a huge floppy straw hat. I had Funny. like I had multiple paperback books like crammed everywhere. <laughs> and I just had no idea what I was doing. Like I can't even believe I could ride the bike, let alone that I didn't get a flop tire. So did, I learned did, a lot. 
Yeah, yeah. Well, there's only one way to learn, right? You got to go out yeah. there and you'll figure out real quick that you don't need all that shit, you know? So <laughs> yeah. We all we all go through it. So I actually have a couple questions here from uh, patrons um, oh, cool. who wrote in a couple questions for you. So Ian asked, uh, what is your favorite solo bikepacking trip and why was it so special? Dang, that's hard. Well, oh, geez, I don't, I don't know. There's so many I love for different reasons, but um, I think I've got sort of a two-way tie. So um, Tasmania, the state in Australia, is like this island state, and that was a really epic ten-day solo tour that involved a lot of wine and o- oysters and beautiful rainforest climbing and sleeping on completely empty beaches by myself. So that one was really awesome. But I have to say that one was about, yeah, like seven or eight years ago now. And back when I used to do these trips, I was a lot younger and I wasn't into a lot of like the stuff I am into now, as far as like meditation and, and bringing music on bike rides. And, and I was just a lot younger of a person and I absolutely drove myself insane like I hated myself on every bike ride. My brain would just go in these like loops where I would think of every awkward thing I've ever said or done since middle school. And I would just think about how I let people down or something happened one time and I would just completely drive myself crazy. And so on the Baja trip this year, I finally like now, I actually turned 30 on the trail and I had this awesome moment where sort of halfway into the trail, I realized that I don't drive myself crazy anymore and that I actually like myself as an adult and I'm, I'm a fun, calm person to ride with now. And that was just this huge revelation of just like, wow, I've come so far since the trips I used to take by myself. Like Iceland was particularly bad because the weather was really gnarly and I made it through, but at the end, I just like cried because I was so happy to be done and not have to <laughs> hang out with myself anymore. <laughs> so, <laughs> so in Baja this year was really special because I, awesome. I've started to get really a lot more practiced at meditation and I can sort of control my thoughts a lot better. Now, if things start to go wrong, I can kind of laugh it off. And I didn't used to always be able to do that. So, yeah, I think, you know, like, well, at least for me, my 20s was spent just trying to figure shit out. You just make a lot of mistakes in your 20s, but then you learn from them, hopefully. And then like in your 30s, uh, you start to like use all those failures as like stepping stones to kind of shape, you know, you're like, oh no, I've been there before. I know what I know where that goes. I, I know, yeah. you know that. I'm not doing that again. Uh, you, yes. just, you, know, you just learn uh, how to yes. kind of avoid some of that shit. I totally agree. And also since I've turned 30, I realized somehow I've acquired like a general competency with like most things. Like I can kind of get thrown in the deep end on stuff and not panic anymore and just be like, I'll just try and see how far I get. And then I can just do stuff suddenly. I think because I'm more patient. Like I used to be like a phone thrower if stuff didn't work, you know? <laughs> and I'm just, yeah, you know, like something's not working and you're just like, oh, fuck this. And you like throw it, you know? I was yeah. like a tool thrower. I would like stomp out and get all pissed about stuff. And yeah. now I can kind of be like, oh, well, that didn't work. I'm just going to 
slow down, think it through, try again, and then stuff yeah. will just work. <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> yeah, you just got to stick with it. I mean, a lot of times things don't work because you just stop short of, you know, your goal. Uh, I, I think it comes down to a little bit of self-confidence. Like if you do enough things, it's like bikepacking, you know, like, mm -hmm. the, you, oh, I didn't know I could go on a three-day trip. I didn't know I could do a 30-day trip. I didn't know. And then you do and you're like, oh, okay, I'm learning. I'm growing. I'm going further. I'm, you know. All, all kinds of stuff that you learn. So I yeah. it's part of the reason that, you know, bikepacking is so appealing to me is because it dovetails so nicely with life and that growth process of uh, being put in hard situations with nobody else to rely on except for yourself and having to trust yourself to, to figure it out. Definitely so you, agree. You take that into life. Boom. Problem solved. Yeah, for sure. Definitely. And that's a lot of the reason why I take these long trips, especially solo, is I feel like they give you this perspective. Even just one trip a year will kind of set me up for the whole rest of the year. If something crappy happens at work or like my lease ends unexpectedly in a share house, I just think back to when I was so cold in Iceland that I would just be awake all night, like feeling like someone was pulling my fingernails off and you run out of food and you have these like real problems that are actually scary. And then yeah. suddenly asking your boss for a raise is like not scary at all or having a bad breakup. You're like, okay, well at least I'm warm and dry. Like this still sucks. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it's perspective. that perspective. It's all about perspective. And that's one yeah. thing I love about bikepacking is we're, we don't, have the opportunity in this modern world to easily challenge ourselves and mm. to put ourselves in hard situations where we really have to rely on ourselves. I mean, everything is so easy. Um, but True. if you can go out there and get some of that experience, I find that it, it really complements your ability to put things in perspective on a day-to-day -day basis and mm. trust yourself to just stick it out. And it'll be definitely okay. agree. Yeah. Mm. All right. We have one more Patreon question from Nick, and he wants to know, what is your favorite piece of gear? Oh, geez. That's such a good question. Hmm. Um, okay, I think I'm going to have to say right now that it's my tent. I got a new tent this year, and I was pretty nervous about it, and it ended up being so sick. It's a... Um, it's made by a like a tiny company in Oregon and they're really not expensive. So I was like, ah, I don't know. And there, it looked a little wild to set up, but it's called six moon designs. And it's a, um, basically it's really cool. It's, it weighs like nothing. It's insane. It has just two carbon fiber poles and then it's sort of a tarp tent setup. but I really like it because you can set up just the tarp or just the bug net really easily. And then also the, if you're using it as a full tent, the tarp goes up first and then you crawl inside and clip the tent. So oh. if it's raining really bad, you can have yeah. instant shelter and then your tent stays dry, which That's is cool. like, it's such a clutch move. And the tent and the whole setup was like 300 bucks and it weighs Whoa. like, it's so cheap and it's so light and they're just like a cool, tiny company. So, um, the yeah, tensioning takes them. some getting used to. What's that? 
Oh, I was just saying I've, I'm familiar with them. I'm a yeah, hammock yeah. myself, but they I've definitely like checked out their stuff. Yeah, I love hammocks, but sometimes there's no trees. Like in yeah. Iceland, there's literally like two trees. <laughs> so Oh, I meant to ask tricky. you, uh, do you know Emma Flukes? She's one fluke shot on Instagram. Um, so I think I I don't know her personally, but I know of her because she did a I think she either placed really high or won a really gnarly bikepacking race in Australia, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, and she, she was actually second. Yeah, and she was one of my customers. Um I used to do a lot of the shipping at the Melbourne bike shop that I worked at. It was like this yeah. famous touring shop called Commuter Cycles. And I definitely saw her name on a lot of orders. So <laughs> she seems like a total badass. She is, man. I uh she lives in Tasmania and oh, uh, cool. Uh, I just had her on the epi- uh, show like two or three episodes ago. Um, oh, sick. I'll have about, to listen. Yeah. She also created uh, Tazzy's Gift, which was like an insanely hard route that uh, her and another person planned there in Tasmania. Um, yeah. She's another really uh, crazy, but in a good way, uh, person yeah. that I like to follow. <laughs> oh, awesome. I'm going to look her up. Yeah. Well, I wanted to talk to you because you and I actually got to meet at the bikepacking summit, uh, this, this past year. And you and I talked personally about what your presentation was, but I was actually recording interviews while you gave your presentation. So oh dang! I know I missed it, but I was hoping you could give like a little, like a rundown or an overview of your presentation this year at the summit. I would love to, I was actually, really worried about it and also at the end very proud of it so because it's kind of a touchy subject material is a bit gendered so basically um my idea for my presentation was um industry inclusivity and um ways to make the bike kind of the whole industry especially in our bikepacking community a little more open to folks who are different. So be it that you're a trans person or that you're a woman working in a workshop as a mechanic or a person of color. And I was pretty nervous about it because initially when I started writing my presentation, I assumed incorrectly that that bikepacking summit would be mostly dudes. And it ended up being kind of half, half, which was incredible. Um, and I also got to, um, moderate a panel at the WTF summit And so that whole summit, I kind of walked around with a notepad and just really tried to learn as many different perspectives as I could, all with the lens of presenting it to a more uh, male-focused group at the Bikepacking Summit, which uh, that ended up being an incorrect assumption because it was a pretty diverse attendance at the Bikepacking Summit, which was amazing. Um, But having been the only girl that worked at a lot of bike shops around the world, I kind of knew that it's really hard to bring up certain subjects in the bike shop without seeming like you're accusing the guys of kind of just being jerks. So I tried really hard to write my presentation um, about how how to be a really good ally to folks who are different than you in the bike shop, be it customers or coworkers. And I wrote the presentation using funny stories I had about times when one of my guy friends was an absolute dead set legend and like said something to a customer to 
um, correct them or make them feel bad about a, a certain thing they said to me or made me feel. And so I brought really funny stories to the table and the whole presentation was like, it wasn't, this is what not to do because all of us know what not to do, you know, especially with the me too movement and stuff, people are really worried about bad behavior, but I feel like we haven't replaced that with concrete, easy to use tools of what you should and could say to back up one of your friends in an awkward or potentially dangerous situation. So I kind of, I went into it being like, what are some really great things that I can actually give to the people in the audience where it's a phrase, like a magic phrase or something they can actually try next time they go back to their local bike shop. And it got a really great reception. And and then at the end, we kind of opened it up and told stories in the whole crowd about times that they saw someone say something really cool Cause you just freeze in those moments. You know, I don't think a lot of guys are like bad dudes. I think, and myself included, like I've seen people say racist things and then I just froze cause it was so shocking. And then later I was like, Oh my God, I can't believe I didn't, I couldn't think of anything to say. And yeah. so I was like, you know, next time you're in that situation, here's like a funny thing you can say. So that it, you just diffuse the situation and and make the person kind of understand that what they said was not cool. So it was really fun. I thought it was going to be a lot of man hate, you know, like I was like, all right, I'm going to go to pres- presentation and she's going to tell me all the ways that men suck. Um, but I really want to tip my hat to you for for bringing that perspective because you're right. Like I'm a dumb guy. I do dumb things. I say dumb things. I don't mean to. I am not a bad person, uh, but sometimes I do dumb shit. And so having good information to go off of from the perspective of somebody like you, both being a female and in the bike industry and working at bike shops and seeing the interaction between, you know, all these different groups of people that we're talking about. Um, so it's good. I, 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 I so much appreciated that that perspective. So I just wanted to tell you, thank you for that. Thank you. Uh, I also want to tell you a funny story. Um, so when you and I met at the bikepacking summit, we both went on the bikepacking ride that was the night before the actual summit took place. Well, it was the first time I got to meet you, but what I wanted to talk about was, do you remember wrecking on the way back? Yes. Yes, I and do. I ate shit. <laughs> I was right behind you. Okay. Yeah. So I just, I got to tell you the truth. It was pretty funny. I was going through my head. I was like, all right, don't be a fucking like asshole guy. You know, like yeah. Pepper just wrecked and ate shit in front of me. Like, I feel like it was a test. I was like, all right, how am I going <laughs> to? because <laughs> uh, oh. I knew you were giving that presentation you know and I was just like oh I mean, you mean you were worried about like kind of coming in and mansplaining sort of yeah or like, oh mansplaining for oh. sure I was like don't do that I was like giving oh myself my gosh. I wasn't like I, I'm being a little bit silly you know I, yeah I mean, no I, but I, I, I appreciate I, that I, I appreciated the humor in that situation where I was like okay Pepper just wrecked in front of me like oh yeah you know, what, what do you do? <laughs> it, I, and I have to tell you something. It was a test. I didn't actually, I fell on purpose. No, I uh, didn't. 
All right, well, I, I would like yeah. a grade then. I, I would like a grade since it a was a plus. test. Because you had to help me, you dug through the dirt with me and help me find all my tiny proprietary bolts for my new front rack that I didn't tighten properly. So you passed. Well, (laughs) you you took the fall like a champ too. You had a huge ass (laughs) swell on your side and uh, it was was a fun way to get to know you a little bit better, you know? Totally. I fall (laughs) a lot for sure. And every time it's my fault too for not... Like I, on that fall, I just built my bike up and ridden it like from the airport. And then I actually got a lift with some friends and ended up being on this like really rowdy beer bike ride the night before when I built my bike. And I just didn't check all my bolts to torque. And that's actually the, that fall was the third time I've done that exact kind of fall where my front rack went into the front wheel because I didn't check it. So since that fall, I, so that wall basket got completely like, crunched in half on that fall. And after that, I was like, no more baskets, no more racks. And I, after that, I went completely rackless. So interesting. Yeah. yeah. Um, it was funny when you wrecked, you're like, Oh yeah, I've been here before. This is, what <laughs> yeah. this is the problem. We're looking for this little piece here. We're looking <laughs> yeah. for this here. It's uh, so bad. I learned my lesson finally. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we learn from experience. That's how we learn. So, yeah, the uh, third time. <laughs> you know, piggybacking on your replacing things with positivity uh, instead of giving negative examples. One thing that uh, somebody told me, you know, two decades ago was that humans or people in general are usually much quicker to give criticism than they are compliments for whatever reason. You know, we're just so quick to criticize. Um, but I would like to give you a compliment having got to hang out with you at the bikepacking summit on a, on a trip and interact with you and watch how you engage with other people. I didn't know you. I mean, I knew you, your, your fun personality on Instagram, you have great puns. You tell you, you sing songs that are wonderful. <laughs> and Thank <happy>. you. <laughs> uh, I, I mean, I, I mean, I've been, you know, following on an Instagram for a while and quite enjoy what what you offer, you know, I, I get I get a I, it's very uplifting, you know, I enjoy it and it makes me happy. But I didn't know what to expect when I met you at all. The one thing that I really noticed about you are a couple of things is one, you're an excellent storyteller, which doesn't come as any surprise to me or probably anybody else. But more importantly, you are a very good listener. There Aww. were there were several times where I wasn't necessarily, I was just observing you have a conversation with somebody and you were very interested to get the details. And there was even a time where you were having a conversation with somebody and somebody else came up and kind of interrupted, not rude. I mean, we were all drinking beers and having a good time and somebody walked up and, uh, and you came right back to him and you said, no, no, no. What were you saying? You know, let's, let's get back to that. You know, um, you were very gracious with both telling stories and then also receiving them as well. And I think that's a true gift. And um, I enjoy getting to know you in that way. Oh, thank you so much. That actually means a lot because the listening in particular is something that I've actually had to put a lot of work into because I, in my younger years, and I'm still guilty of this, 
sometimes I'll get really excited when I'm talking to someone and I'll start interrupting them a little bit. And uh, I had a couple of really cool friends over the years who were fantastic friends. And I started sort of studying how they do things. And I realized when they talk to me, they're not thinking of the next thing that they're going to say. They're listening fully, undistractedly, and then asking more and more and more questions. And so I kind of was like, I really love these people. And how can I be more like them in these really amazing ways? And you just, it's a practice. And especially the question asking, I really, once I started getting more in depth with conversations with friends, I realized how fun it is to to be able to think up those questions that really draw people out. And I was actually realizing in the beginning of this talk that being on a podcast for me right now where I'm at with that practice is really hard because I my kind of impulse is to flip it on you and ask you a shitload of questions. Uh-huh. And so the whole time I'm like really fighting that. Like when you talked about your daughter riding bikes, I yeah. like the first thing I wanted to do is like, how old, what's her name? What bike has she got? What's her first bike? Like, and so it's really hard for me to sit here and like, let someone just ask me all these questions and get to talk about myself because I'm like, yeah. oh, I just, I know there's like this, you have this whole life that I don't know anything about. And I could know everything I wanted just by asking. Yeah. So, so that I'll means a lot. What, to Pepper, you and I are kindred spirits in that way, for sure. I, <laughs> yeah. I, I've been interviewed. I actually was just interviewed a couple of days ago for another podcast, and I find it wholly uncomfortable. Um, but I have a, a, a very high curiosity, and mm. um, I just enjoy really getting to know people on a, like a one-on-one basis. You know, like yes. you can have much better conversations with somebody whenever it's just like there's not distractions of like other people that want to interject their thoughts or their stories or their questions. Like you can really get to know somebody on a one-on-one basis. I'll tell you what, uh, I sympathize with where you're coming from. Not this episode, but let's do this again. I actually have another podcast called shifting gears, which is kind of just like whatever I feel like it's like, that's the shifting gears. It's like, Oh, I feel like this. I feel like that. I feel like that. Cool. We can record one like that, and you can ask me whatever whatever you want. Fun. That sounds great. Cool. All right. Time for the big one. Okay. <laughs> Hit me. I'm ready. Put me in, coach. Uh, I say that. Where, what is that from? <laughs> I don't know. I just say it all the time. I like, do, too. That is so I think it's weird. a funny way. Like, it's a funny way to tell people that it's okay to call you in, you know? Yeah. Yeah, that is that is funny. I say that, and I, you're the only other person I've ever met that says that. I know That's I got so it. So funny. Put me in. Yeah, coach. I don't know where it's from because someone I said it today at work. I say it probably five times today at work. If someone's like, "Hey, c- do you have a second? I need some help," and I'll be like, "Put me in, coach." And yeah, someone today like laughed really hard and was like, "Oh my god, put me in, coach!" And I was like, "Yeah, it's just I mean it. Like I'm I'm here. I'm ready." All right. So I wanted to uh, talk to you about your Instagram post yesterday. Um, Mm. You made a very heartfelt and very sincere post that obviously has a lot behind it. Um, Mm. So 
you know, for anyone who didn't read the post, maybe do you want to kind of give like a summary of what the content of that was? Sure. Um, so it's something I've been thinking about a lot lately, especially with all the stuff going on with the virus. And um, I just kind of generally from time to time will face a bit of criticism for um, real. I feel like maybe folks think I'm not being realistic by being what I call ruthlessly positive all the time. And it also sometimes will start to affect my personal relationships because um, every time, you know, I'll listen to a friend's problem and then, um, or something at work will happen and I'll kind of just be like, like, we got this, like, let's handle this. It's going to be great. Like, this is a teaching moment and, you know, it's really brutal right now. And then I started seeing a lot of this sort of meme or like a, um, just a picture that was getting shared around the internet about toxic positivity and um, I kind of saw it and I was like, oh, this is kind of brutal because I think a lot of people who see my posts or interact with me on a daily life um, and who view positivity as something that could be toxic don't understand that for a lot of us who struggle with mental health problems, which I think everyone struggles with mental health. You know, just the same way that everyone struggles once a year with the flu or something. It's just another side of your health that sometimes isn't that great. And no one has perfect mental health all the time. And so for me, like what could be kind of misconstrued as toxic positivity is actually a coping mechanism for myself because otherwise I will completely lose all motivation and I'll just be so bummed every day and just completely lose hope and focus on the good things to come. So I kind of practice every day. I used to be really negative a lot because I came up in sort of a rough family where um, we lost our, our mom to addiction. Um, we She didn't die though. She actually recovered. But when I was in middle school, my mom got pretty heavy into drugs and lost custody of us. I'm the oldest of four. And we went through a really rough time where we weren't even legally allowed to keep any contact with her. And we lived at our father's house who we didn't really know very well. And he had a new um, wife that wasn't really expecting to um, end up with some new kids that she didn't really know about and stuff. And I kind of went through most of my younger life and adult life thinking like, hey, if I'm such a loser that my own mom didn't want to stick around, why would anyone want to be my friend? Like, why would anyone want to date me long term? And so that made it really easy for me to quit jobs willy nilly and move around the world and just kind of expect that the worst is going to happen because I wanted to be ready for that. And that was a really unhealthy, super damaging way to live the last, it, it was almost 15 years of thinking that way. And I just eventually realized that I couldn't live my life like that. And if I didn't turn things around in my own head, that I probably would end up not making it through and end up addicted myself because it's really hereditary with stuff like that. And so I, it wasn't easy, but I started talking to some friends who had been through similar things and just sucking up my pride and asking for help. 
And I started journaling, which was a big move and started doing an everyday yoga practice. And I still get really anxious and I still get really mad at myself. And I think horrible things about myself all the time. And I've turned that into a practice of if I start feeling bad, I'll break out my journal and I'll just make a list of good things that happened today. So like today, for example, if I was feeling upset or stressed, I, it's easy to feel that in your body. And then your brain is like, why am I feeling like this? I better come up with reasons why today was a shit day, but it wasn't. So you got to rewrite that story. So today, you know, I would take my journal and I would be like, okay, today I, there was a cool girl who's my customer and I sold her her first mountain bike and she was so stoked. And like, I got to give her that for like the new bike feeling kind of day. And Mm -hmm. so that was like a really good thing that happened. And then, um, I had a fun beer with work uh, after work with my new coworkers and they're all like super awesome and have my back. So I just kind of started this practice of like, you know, turning things around and reminding myself that everything's okay now. And my mom's been sober for almost 11 years now and she got her master's degree and she's helping other women get clean and sober. And yeah. So, um, yeah, but I, I wanted to, I found out that especially moving up here, um, in the bike shop, sometimes people will already have this idea of me from Instagram before I get there. Mm-hmm. And so I really wanted to address that and make sure that folks understand that I'm a complete real person with like a pretty crazy history and things have happened that, you know, I'm not like this toxic positivity granola gobbling princess, like I said <laughs> on, the, on the post. Because <laughs> like I, it seems like that and it seems easy but there's not a single day that I don't struggle with, you know, trying to stay positive and, and just thinking that I'm annoying people with my bad puns at work or annoying my new housemates or just irrational kind of anxiety thoughts. And so every single day I work to flip that story in my brain. And I just realized that I don't think that people that see my pictures online where I'm always smiling, always on an adventure, see all the hard work mentally that I put behind that just every single day. Mentally behind like your posts or just like, no, no, no. You mean like your happiness? Like, yeah. The, like the, okay. the perception that other people have that I'm like this happy go lucky, like cheery, everything's perfect all the time in my life. And that's why I'm so happy all the it, time. Even, man, the, even in this pandemic. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of people have been like, how the fuck can you be so happy? Like people are dying right now in this pandemic. And I am scared shitless of like, I work in a bike shop right now where we see like, you know, over 50 people, people touch me, they cough on me. Like I'm in a highly exposed environment every day. I'm afraid of this thing that is killing like healthy, young, strong dudes our age. You know, it's, terrifying but I'm not gonna just go and go to work like scared and you know crying in a corner because this could happen yeah exactly and also I could sit at home and quarantine and not be an essential worker not help these people like a guy today 
told me that he was there dropping off his wife's bike, this old guy. And he was like, she like uses her bike as her mental health machine. If she can't ride it, like I'll lose her forever. Like she'll be a different person. It means so much that you guys are here and open. And he was really old too and was taking a pretty big risk because that's how important this lady's bike was to her. And we get other people who they lost their job and now they can't afford gas money. So they got their bike out of the shed that they haven't ridden in years just so they can go to the grocery store without buying gas. So, mm. you know, it's pretty intense right now. And people are like, oh, look at this dumb Instagrammer with this big smile. Like she's just living in la la land. And like they don't see, you know, the kinds of things I'm seeing at work every day and the intensity of the pandemic and being an essential worker in that. And also the paradox of feeling so lucky to still have a job. So, you know, so it's easy to be like, oh, smiles all the time. Everything's so like amazing and happy because you're an idiot. But then the flip side is like me being super scared and worried. I'm in a new place where I, you know, my best friends up here, I met a month ago you know, so I have no family up here and I worry for my own family. So it's hard to put a smile on, but you know, I need to see people like that. Like I've got people on Instagram that I follow that I know that's not what their real life looks like, but I rely on, you know, this kind of like positivity and just a fun time. I want to escape a little bit and look at, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I, I totally get that. I mean, my idea with Instagram is to inspire, to uplift, you know, like I'm not going to put all of my shit on Instagram. Yeah. Like, but I, I will say that I will put all my shit on a podcast. Uh, and yeah. that is, uh, <laughs> yeah. that, that's one of the reasons why I started a podcast. It's a huge reason because there's a big disconnect between reality and social media. And totally. You're missing the art of conversation. You're you're a master mm. wordsmith. I know you value words and conversations. <laughs> uh, w- this is what's missing, and so I really mm. wanted to give you an opportunity to, yeah, have a platform to talk about like what is going on in your life behind Instagram. Because I'm like you, I I go to Instagram to escape to totally. Check out Cool uh, people and places and bikes that I think are sexy, um, inspiration, you know, all that fun stuff. You Adventure. know, mm. and, and I've I've dealt with some of that shit too. And I mean, it's just it's sad, but I am mm. grateful uh, that you were willing to uh, put yourself out there because that's never fun. Like it sucks that you even on one level have to explain that. But on another level, I think that people are going to connect with that because yeah. it's like we're, we're all dealing with mental health issues, right? I've oh, never met a single fucking person who is just like 100% in their head. No, you know? like, if they are, they're probably a serial killer on the weekends. <laughs> like, yeah, you know? or heavily medicated. You know, <laughs> very. Yeah, totally. And so, people get so embarrassed about it, too. But like I said, it's the same as stubbing your toe or getting the flu. It's another aspect of your health that's completely normal that all of us deal with. Yeah. So 
Well, I love making those connections. It's a big thing that I strive to do on the podcast is help bring some reality to what we see as just a persona. Uh, uh, you know, it's only a picture or maybe a short video. Yeah. Like that's not a person. That's just no. a, a little tiny thing that you got to see mm. that they shared with you. That's a, that's important. You know, I think I just love making those connections because so many people, I think, view social media and they they uh, measure themselves according to what they see and we're all fucked up in some little way so um, oh definitely let's, and I think it oh sorry oh, you go no no you oh I was just gonna say that I often will even find myself comparing myself to people I see on Instagram and it's brutal and I'll catch myself doing it and I'll be like phone going away now. Like yeah. this is, you know, this person that I like this one thing about that I think I don't have, they've got a whole past behind that picture that they're showing this one tiny part of themselves to the world. And then I just think like with myself about the history and my past and a lot of things that I don't like about myself, you know, be it something I don't like about how it looks or like, okay, funny story. I, since I turned 30 this year, I started growing these like insanely long nostril hairs that will like <laughs> stick out of my nose. And I was like, Oh my God, like I'm growing a mut like a real mustache. Like this is insane. Like, what am I going to do? And I didn't realize, like, I thought that my nose ring had been tickling me and I'm like almost six one. So for the couple months that I didn't realize I had like half inch fucking mustache hairs growing out of my nostrils, people like every single person who is shorter than me, which is like everyone was just <laughs> staring straight up into like my nostril hairs. And I was like, Oh my God. So that's like a silly example, but yeah, it's easy to look at Instagram and compare yourself to these like supermodel adventure goddesses that it seems like people just fly them around the world and they're, you know, doing whatever they want, just not working and having a great time. And then I looked at my Instagram and I was like, dude, I'm working like 50 or even 60 hour work weeks. And like mine looks like I don't even have a job and people just yeah. fly me around the world. And I'm over here pulling mustache hairs out of my nostrils <laughs> and working like 10 hour days. <laughs> That's, that's the beauty, man. That's the beauty. That's what's missing is the reality. That's, that's the new drug for me that I'm like, seeking <laughs> yeah. out is people who are just like authentic and be like, you know, my fucking eye, eyebrows are like, if I let these <laughs> eyebrows go, I mean, they would look like my mustache. I'd be flying away. It, it'd be Maybe all I'll start crazy. curling mine up like yours instead of plucking it out. <laughs> yeah. You know, make it fashionable. <laughs> yeah. That's a way better idea. So let's talk about, I'm sure that bike touring, bike packing and these trips that you go on plays a factor in your mental health. Can you talk about how, you use cycling and getting outdoors to improve or to help your mental health? Yeah, actually that has been something that I've put a lot of thought into because these trips became this weird necessity for me that I didn't really understand why. And then on the, the Baja divide was a lot of hike a bike, a lot of really long days. And I was by myself and everyone had told me how dangerous it was and, 
So I had a lot of time riding every day to just think about the person I want to become in the future and things I'd like to work on now. And a lot of that was um, really beneficial to my mental health because I was able to sort of have a good hard look at things that I don't really necessarily like about um, my own thought patterns and things that were unhealthy there. And I was able to come up with like a couple of really fun mantras where I would be riding along and I would start having negative thoughts about like, um, I had a really gnarly run in with the Mexican army down there in a live shootout as I was riding. And it absolutely scared the shit out of me. And it resulted in me pulling an all nighter to keep riding to the next town to get a motel because I wasn't allowed to camp. According to the people that I ran into in the military who told me, um, there was like a bunch of live shootouts happening over some kind of, um, they said it was, I found it later, something to do with a fish that's trafficked down there that they call the cocaine of the sea now. But anyway, um, they were like, you can't camp up here because everyone running around right now up here has infrared goggles or whatever, like night vision goggles. And they were like, you're just going to be laying on the ground and everyone can see you. So you have to just keep riding. And um, so that was really scary. And like a couple of other times people pulled up on me in the middle of the night as I was wild camping in trucks or something, driving around in the sort of like the desert out there. And so it was like a pretty big mental game for me to try to control my thoughts. And that's a big part of what I struggle with my own mental health is um, I'm really good at coming up with imaginary situations to be worried about (laughs) that are not realistic. So I'll imagine that I've offended a coworker based on something I said, and I'll worry about it for like three days completely irrationally. And I'll have this whole story in my head about how I like really fucked up and, and then I'll actually talk to them about it. And they'll be like, dude, what are you talking about? Like that never happened. And I found out, you know, that was in my head. And so on the bike tours, I really work on listening to my own thoughts and listening to my breathing and just stopping myself. If I start telling a story that's not true, that's negative about myself, Mm. um, so yeah, you're just given so much time. Not true. That's yeah. a great. That's a that is so good. Yeah. Don't don't allow yourself to um, take mental pathways that are not based on evidence. You know, that's like if what you're I con- say to myself. Yeah. If I you're ask if you're concerned that. that you offended a coworker, then where's the evidence? Like, yeah. And, well, and then go and then just ask them. Like, hey, I I yeah. care about you as a person. Um, yeah, I'm concerned that maybe I said something. Nope, we're cool. Or yes, we did. And let's talk about it. You know? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And that has also helped me in my daily life with my own mental health and my relationships with other people just right from the get go being like, Hey, is it okay if I talk to you for a minute? I'm just kind of worried about stuff and just having completely open lines of communication with like literally every person that I talk to, then that's made everything so much easier for me in terms of anxiety and stress levels. And that's something I, yeah. And it's hard. Like when you're by yourself for 24 hours a day for 30 days straight and you're, you know, maybe your, your bike's breaking in the middle of nowhere or you got food poisoning or 
it's really easy to get super stressed and tell yourself these stories that your brain is like, oh, that's true. It's happening. You're going to die out here. And then you have to kind of take a step back from that and be like, do I have any evidence to back up this thought? Or sometimes I'll be like riding along and I have a fun surfer friend who he does a lot of therapy and a lot of meditation. And he said one of his teachers told him, whenever things start happening like that in your brain and things are coming up and you're starting to get pretty stressed about stuff, he said his meditation teacher just taught him to say in his head, hmm, thoughts. (laughs) I just feel like, oh, yes, my brain is thinking thoughts again. That's what it's meant to do. And it's fine. You know, acknowledge that it's a thing and then move on without validating those or digging deeper or giving them any sort of basis, you know, when there's no evidence for the way that my heart's pounding and my hands are sweating, but it's, it's a physiological reaction to stress and I don't have to give it any merit. So that's been really important to, to realize that. Yeah, that's really interesting. I actually just started meditating within the last like three to five months ish. Um, I am following uh, the Waking Up app, which is by Sam Harris. He's like a neuroscientist, and I feel like I trust him tinkering around in my head. Uh, yeah. But he really draws your attention to how thoughts are just like coming all the time, you know? Yeah. And, and it's like, where did they come from and where are they going? Uh, and and trying to follow them can be tricky. They just like pop up. They're, they're just like happening all the time. What is that? Where, where are they coming from? You know? And so totally. why, do, why do we like put more importance on other of these random thoughts that come into our head and not, you know? So yeah, meditation has been a really interesting way to, I mean, let's be honest, like, the way I've started to look at it is do you want to be completely inundated with media and social media and your friends and what they think, or do you want to take some time to spend some, you know, spend some time in the space that is your head, your consciousness uh, and, and figure out how you're feeling and, and figure out what's going on inside yourself and how you feel about something you know, and not be just reactionary to everything that's going on in the world. Yeah, definitely. The reactionary part is a big thing I've had to learn through that practice is just realizing that you don't have to react to every single thing that you're thinking or that's happened to you or someone's talking to you. You know, you can you can choose what to spend your energy on. And that was a really big revelation for me. So through meditation. I don't, I don't think I've met anybody who, uh, bike packs and bike tours and does the stuff that isn't working through some mental health stuff, you know, or working through something, you know, it's, yeah. it's such a great way to, I mean, on some level, if it's hard, then you can't focus on anything else, but what is hard, you know, and you get to be, that's meditative in itself, you know, to just whenever something is so hard, you can't think of anything else. You can't worry about anything else. Like that's a Mm. nice, you know, it is big time. And that definitely, I also really like the rhythmic nature of 
like riding and meditating. So when I meditate, I focus on my breath. And it's kind of, to me, it sounds like ocean waves. And I'll kind of imagine um, being like in the ocean when I'm listening to my breathing. And same with when I'm riding, you're listening to the tires on the gravel and mm-hmm. you're listening to your chain connecting with your cassette and the teeth clicking into the chain. And there's a lot of your breathing and your pedaling and it's this rhythm that you're listening to. And that really helps clear my mind, I found. and Or it lets my mind safely wander and I'll get all those thoughts out and then I'll be able to listen to just the rhythmic noises and it's really calming. Yeah. That's something that I liked. I've been practicing with is meditating while I ride. And even whenever yeah. I ride with people, I'll, I'll, I'll just tell them like, Hey, I want to meditate for 30 minutes. I'm just going to like hang back or whatever. And, uh, and really, man, you can find some sync and some rhythm when you're meditating that are like, it's hard to describe. It's like almost like you're floating through space and time. Like your body is just this thing and yeah. you're just being propelled forward, you know? Totally. How long have you been meditating? Oh, geez. Like maybe less than two years if I like of calling it actual meditation. And I started doing it mostly through yoga because I found the more yoga I did, the longer days I could pull on the bike with less injury. And then, so it started off as kind of like a purely performance type thing where I wasn't really using yoga for that much stress management. And then I found that that was like a really big side effect of a lot of yoga. And so I started then looking into, um, I really like the yoga YouTube videos from Yoga with Adrian. She's like this really funny, yeah, yeah, she's like this really cool chick in Texas, and she's it's great. not overly spiritual. It's kind of fun, and her dog's often in the background, and it's kind of really chill, and you can choose the videos based on length and stuff. And so I started looking to see if she had any guided meditations, and I tried one of hers, and it was really easy and super helpful, and it was she has some nice short 10-minute ones, so... I started dabbling in those and now I've kind of worked it into this like morning routine that I have before work. That's really important to me for waking up. So I'll wake up every day a couple hours before work and then I'll have a cup of coffee in bed while I listen to NPR up first, which is like this really good news podcast. It's like 12 minutes long and it's a world news. So I get filled in on the day and what happened yesterday and stuff that might affect me. And then I'll get up And I'll have, usually I'll brew a second cup of coffee. And while that's brewing, I'll do like three pages of just open conscious, just like word vomit journaling. Because I usually wake up in the morning feeling kind of stressed for the day ahead and like a little bit anxious. And so I'll, I have a lot of really bad dreams and stuff that are kind of like silly stress dreams where like, I'll, it's like kind of like pants off in front of the high school auditorium dreams. <laughs> <laughs> and so I'll just kind of journal in the morning and get my head on straight and be like, oh, I'm not anxious because something bad happened. I just wake up with a pounding heart sometimes for not really any real reason. So I'll just yeah. journal three pages of just whatever. Like this morning I journaled about Um, like if I could do anything this winter season, what would be my plans if everything was back to normal? 
So that was really fun and set me for like a really fun kind of day thinking about dreams I have for next the next time I get to take work off. Um, and then I'll meditate after that, after I've kind of emptied my head onto the paper. I'll spend like, I usually don't do longer than 10 minutes because I still have to eat breakfast and ride my bike to work. But yeah. even 10 minutes of just listening to my breath and following a guided meditation, it's really made me less of a space case at work, especially in the morning. And yeah, it just, it's been super helpful. Yeah. 10 minutes is actually like a pretty long time. It's funny, you know, whenever you do 10 minutes of meditation, it seems like an eternity. Oh yeah. Like hours. It really puts into perspective how like the other, however many hundreds of thousands of minutes are in a day are just like stuff being sent in your brain and you spend totally. 10 minutes a day just calming and trying to keep the world out and just be here in this moment. It's so crazy. You really like, you're like, holy shit, the rest of the time, I'm just like a garbage can and yeah. people are putting things in there, you know? Totally. It's mm-hmm. crazy. It's, it's pretty wild. What kind of, do you do a certain kind of meditation? I'm not like super savvy with meditation, mm. but. Yeah, I'm not either. I don't, I don't, yeah, I don't have a certain kind. Sometimes if I'm finding that it's really hard for me to calm my brain down, I'll, I looked up a Buddhist technique that involves counting your breaths. So you count your breaths from one to 10 and the odd numbers you inhale and the even numbers you exhale. And then you start over at 10. And that one's been really helpful for me because if I'm not focusing, I'll sort of snap to and I'm counting 43, 44, and I've passed 10 and Mm -hmm. just been totally out of it. So that one kind of keeps you focused and I'll visualize the numbers in my head. So you're counting your breaths, you're listening to your breaths, and then you're seeing the numbers in your head. And that kind of makes it so there's not room for anything else to invade your personal space kind of. So I found that to be really helpful. My mental struggle, well, addiction, drug addiction was a big one for me. And uh, anxiety was another one. And so counting and and not not counting, but doing math, two plus two, four plus four, eight plus eight. Oh, interesting. And like, that's a good one. Yeah. And just counting to, you know, because when you're doing that, apparently your brain doesn't have uh, the capacity to do anything else. So it definitely calms you down. Yeah. I'm, oh, I'm, I love I'm, that. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I, I'm like you, I, I don't really know what I'm doing. I'm just trying different things and yeah. uh, seeing, seeing what works and if it works great, but you said you do a guided meditation, which guided meditation do you do? Um, so I just find the yoga with Adrian meditation videos to be really helpful because okay. they're really short and she's really fun. And also like, you know, granola gobbling, toxic positivity princess, like style <laughs> like myself. So she's really like funny and she's kind of all about like, oh, if you feel like you're doing a bad job, you're not. There's no such thing as doing a bad job because you're yeah. here and you've set yourself this time, you know, no one can take that from you. And just the simple act of being there and showing up for yourself is, means that it was a success, even if you're distracted. So I just really like her style. And she kind of tells you, 
um, it's just really forgiving. You know, it's put your hands anywhere. You can be like laying down or sitting in a chair and it still counts. You don't have to be this like master yogi saying like ohm in, you know, perfect tights and perfect position with your legs. So that's how Sam Harris is. That's how, Mm. that's how Sam Harris is, is, you know, if your mind wanders, it's fine. Don't worry about it. Come back to the just come back yeah. to the breath, you know, and he you know, just remind you like the, the purpose of meditation is not to like make yourself anxious that you're yeah. doing it wrong. It, it's to just like, let it flow, man. <laughs> yeah. Like you shouldn't be judging yourself while you're meditating. That's <laughs> oh, like- what the fuck am I thinking of? Oh no. <laughs> what, what, why yeah. am I thinking? No, just. You I'm know. doing a shit job again. I'm the worst. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's good. Like well, that's I mean, why we meditate. <laughs> It's, it's a fun journey, uh, but I think it's an important one to continue to just get to know yourself, understand yourself, have your own. It, it's like your presentation, you know, have an understanding of who you are and how you feel about something. Don't just say something like, like get to know yourself and, and have yeah. some uh, understanding of what you value and who you are and then respond based on that. Don't just be reactionary to the, to the world around you. Exactly. And have those tools in your belt so that when you need them, you're set up for success. There you go. All right. Well, we fixed everybody. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So let's talk about something kind of fun. I think a big announcement. You are now what a sponsored salsa rider. Yes. How did, how did that happen? I, I envision a gold envelope is flown to you with a by a dove <laughs> or something. I honestly, I still can't believe it really happened. Like, I it doesn't really feel real. And it was half sort of one of those fake it till you make it situations a little bit. I, but that could be my anxiety talking for me. But yeah, it's it feels crazy to be like a young woman who doesn't race to get sponsored by a major bike brand is a dream that I've had since like middle school, you know, that I, I never thought could ever happen in real life. And I didn't, it wasn't something I applied for. It was kind of the background is years of really hard work for free. So a lot of people are like, Oh, you applied for a sponsorship and you got it. And that's amazing. But what actually happened is I was an unpaid ambassador for multiple brands for years and I paid my own flights. I flew wherever they told me when they asked me to on my own dime and just showed up and just wasn't, I submitted photos for them unpaid and uh, just helped out a bunch of smaller companies that I really enjoyed working with. It, with the hopes that someday someone would recognize that I'm a really strong asset to have for a company and that someone would be like, okay, we pay our dudes to do this and you know we should also pay our female sponsored athletes. So basically last year when I spoke at the Bikepacking Summit, um, some folks from Salsa were there and after really? my presentation, yes. So... After now, my, my wheels are spinning, I'm wondering who it was. <laughs> I know. I'll tell I'll tell you another time so that there, right. there's no like pressure on them or anything. But yeah, yeah. Um, basically I was approached after my presentation um, and I was asked uh, basically 
who I'd signed a contract for for 2020. And I've never signed a contract in my life. No one's ever <laughs> paid me for anything. Like I just tried to keep my face neutral as I explained, no, I hadn't signed a contract with anyone for 2020. <laughs> I was like, oh, no one's grabbing like, No, yet, I haven't gotten know? around to it. It's sitting on my desk. you know. Yeah, exactly. And so I kind of just played that card and um, they were like, oh, well, I'm going to talk to um, the head office when I get back into the office. And we're really looking for um, more kind of adventure riders who don't race to sponsor to because a lot of their bike range is really for kind of the weekend and everyday adventurer and not the the professional racer or not the person that does, you know, it's cool that I do the the longer solo tours, but they were like m the majority of the people who are looking at buying one of these style bikes are really just like average people that work a lot and want like an adventure rig for the weekends and stuff. And so I was like, cool, shoot me an email um, when you hear back from whoever you're going to talk to and I'll read it over and have a think about it, and, which obviously the answer was like a hard yes. And the whole time I was like, I can't believe this is happening. And even when they sent me the bike and I got a small check in the mail for my trips this year. And when I opened my mailbox, I just started crying because I just couldn't believe that someone would actually have the, the faith in me as it just kind of made everything that I've worked for feel like it was worth it and really real. Because yeah. a lot of people are like, oh, you're an Instagram model. And I'm like, well, actually, I'm I'm a bike rider. Like, I, I have the Instagram followers because people like to see my bike trips. And if Instagram didn't exist, I would still, I wouldn't be, like, a model for bikes. Like, right. I would just be a bike <laughs> rider, you know? So, yeah, like, just I just love riding. Yeah, I'm just yeah. a cyclist. Like the, I wouldn't even go biking at all if there's another way to get to campsites. Like I don't go and ride my bike in the morning before work. Like I don't like going on bike rides unless it's to get somewhere <laughs> cool that I couldn't get to otherwise because I never drove or anything. And yeah. I love the like self-sufficient aspect of it. But yeah, so that it was so surprising um, when I got that offer and I was just totally shocked and and really really thankful and amazed so yeah it's really, pretty exciting i i am and i was uh, really happy for you whenever i saw and <laughs> thank I, you i think it's i mean it's just so cool because i'm not i'm not racy um i i'm the i'm like the new kid on the block whenever it comes to bikepacking like i just started bikepacking a couple of years ago like amazing I, I don't know shit about shit but that's, <laughs> that's why my podcast i think has some listenership is because let's be honest like most of us aren't living the lifestyle you are or Lael or whoever that you know has really found a way to prioritize this and 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 make it a huge part of their life right so yeah um, you know, y'all are the people that I, I really like look up to. And, uh, it's so good to see somebody who's not a racer get recognition as being valuable for totally. your experiences and what you bring to the community. 
and for me, and it sounds like for you, this is a lifestyle. It's not a sport. It's it's a lifestyle. Exactly. Yeah, that's a great way to put it. I totally agree. Well, I'm, I mean, I almost teared up whenever you were telling me that story. Like I am. Uh, Dude, I do. Like when I think about it, it's it's literally feels like my little kid dreams came true. And it also feels so validating as a woman too. And also even just being on your podcast, when I was like scrolling back through your previous episodes, I was like, wow, it's almost like half women. Like there's so many women that you've interviewed who are so inspirational and it just... It, like, it sounds like I've sort of internalized the misogyny a little bit when I say that it still shocks me and makes me feel, like, so stoked when, uh, like, hundreds of men ask for my opinion on what I bought and what I'm using and and people listen to podcasts with women on them. And now big brands are starting to sponsor women and take take us as seriously as the men and... Yeah, it just yeah, feels it's really intense. Weird for me because, like, I, I I've always well, I, I don't know. I don't want to come across and be like, I always knew women were awesome. You know? <laughs> I mean, we're pretty cool. But I mean, <laughs> like, it, it, this isn't that crazy for me that uh, that women are getting the recognition that they deserve. And uh, actually, I have a tattoo on my leg of Dottie Farnsworth. You might appreciate this. Uh, she's a relative of mine who was a famous cyclist in like 1897 to 1906. Oh, uh, cool. Like tens of thousands of people would show up and watch her and other women race back in the early 1900s. That's um, amazing. Women have been incredible athletes, entertainers, uh, whatever. I mean, a big part of everything i mean this isn't yeah. like a rocket sign like no like we're half the people on the planet like yeah. yeah it's like and that's what boggles my mind about like brands not recognizing the worth and sponsoring women is we're half of the buyers i know a lot of people will argue with me oh that's not true in the bike industry but like we weren't welcomed into the bike industry for the longest time like people didn't make us technical bikes that we wanted to buy so, yeah, it's it's really funny now to look at brands being like, oh, well, I guess we should put a girl in our ad because it's like, yeah, like half the half the girls are, you know, are the ones buying the bikes. And then when the dudes are buying the bikes, usually they have to get the yes from a partner who's often a woman. <laughs> in my experience at the bike shop, they're like, oh, let me yeah. check with the bank manager. I, you know, I, I owned a retail business. Uh, I, I was actually owned a golf store for a, a while. And, uh, either there's two possibilities. One, they got permission for their wife or two, they didn't tell their wife and <laughs> yeah. your wife better not find out or else they'll get totally. in trouble. For sure. And my whole thing is like, I would never, like, if I ever get married one day, it will be to someone that I can be like, honey, I really want this bike. And they'll be like, fuck yes, get that bike. Yeah. Like, why would you marry someone, you know, up until a, a certain point, obviously with budgeting and stuff. But if you've thought it through money wise and like, you know, you have your own savings set aside, like I would never marry someone that didn't completely respect and understand my love and need for bikes in yeah. my life. 
And, it's a nice, yeah. it's a deep, yeah. I mean, it's, oh, it's yeah. all those things we've talked about. I mean, it's mental I, health, you know, it's, it's yeah. a big part of it. And also physical health, like your doctor bills are way less at, over a 10 year span if you ride bikes. So mm. I, I, I'm not going to disagree. I prioritize yep. bikes. It is uh, mental, physical health. It gives me, uh, I mentioned I am a former drug, drug addict. Um, mm. I, my new drug is bikes. It's the endorphins that I get. It's the feelings that I get. It's the sunrises. Sure. It's all of those things for me. And I can't, I can't let it go. It's, it's too no. important to my life. Um, mm. And so I, I, yeah, I agree with you. There's no space for people in your life who don't understand the value that, 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 that brings and will allow you to, to have that like definitely in addition to all of those health benefits and stuff i feel like bikes are also unique in that when you have a bike especially a bike packing or touring bike it's this golden key into this international community of amazing strangers who will stick their neck out for you you've got couches to stay on you know like people that have never met you in your entire life will pull their car over and give you food and say, where are you going? Do you need a place to stay? Because they once went on a bike tour. You know, yeah. it's like, it's so much more than anything that I can think of the community and the health. It's like insane yeah. how much we get from bikes. It, I cannot disagree. I was just talking about this, about the community and I've been fortunate enough as a, as a newbie to interview some amazing people, to be at the bike packing summit, to rub shoulders with legends. And mm. it doesn't matter who it is. Everybody I meet is just so great. It's, yeah. I, I, always, I always say that I'm like waiting to find the asshole. Who, who is the, the asshole bike packer out there? That's it's like, so true. It's <laughs> like crazy. just being shitty. Yeah, it's, yep. it's weird. It's it's great. Like, yeah, there's a lot of like very selfish, uh, maybe not selfish, but uh, self worth promoting aspects of bike packing and bike bike touring. Um, but then, like, you can branch it out to the community and get to engage with people like yourself, and you speak that common language, and you understand totally. the value of those things in your life. And once you've found that and you realize how valuable it is, man, you're not going to let that go. No, it's just like a whole bunch of the sweetest nerds you'll ever meet in your life. But yeah. also big risk takers, too. Like, they're some of the most fun people that you could possibly meet, you know? Like, it's just so fun. Well, that's a great, like, I don't think that we uh, recognize or pay like shine a spotlight on how pretty badass this is like for you to go to Iceland and do the entire is it the ring road is that what it's called I did ring road plus the west fjords and yeah. had no fucking idea what I was getting myself into or anywhere was, I mean Tazzy yeah. when you went to Tazzy by mm. yourself I mean the fact that you do that if you look at that let's just take one let's take uh Iceland Let's say you, that was the only thing you did your entire life that was like epic. That trumps like 99% of the population. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, it, like we, 
it's just crazy that we're like talking about something so epic. I don't know, so blasé almost. It's just like, oh yeah. I, I didn't think about that, but that's kind of true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're just like, yeah, yeah, knock that out, whatever. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Yeah. All right. So uh, let's talk about what are you looking for now when you plan mm-hmm. a bike trip, you plan a, a, a tour, whatever it is, what are you, what are you looking for both maybe in route terrain and also just the experience that you're trying to have? So um, that is a good question because it's changed a lot for me just even in the last year. Um, so as I've gotten older and I have more trips under my belt now, I, every trip I go on, I'm kind of like, oh, this is sort of missing something. I started kind of feeling like there should be a way to be able to give back to someone or something while planning a tour. And so I started actually, when I was planning the Baja trip, even though there's already a GPX route available online and everything, and a lot of work has been put into it and it's amazing. I spent about six months emailing and researching different research stations down there um, who deal with wildlife conservation with the idea that I could roll through and do some watercolor paintings and do some photography to document their actions and efforts with keeping the beautiful nature and wilderness of the Baja divide route as spectacular as it is. And so that was really, it, it just made the trip feel less like I was this kind of 20 something. Usually I'll plan a route based on like hopefully a couple of breweries and good surf spots and just having like a vacation, you know, and just having a rowdy time and, and which I still did on the Baja trip, but I just kind of am at the point now where I'm looking back at my life and do I want to say, Oh, I had the best time going on all these amazing bike tours and partying really hard and that was kind of it or do I want to be able to say I really understood the ecology of a place that I visited or was able to give back in some way by using my online platform to shine a spotlight on some of these really small conservation stations and and things like that to make a trip more meaningful Um, and then I used to also focus more on I really used to be shy about route planning and navigation. And so part of the appeal for Tasmania and Iceland are that there's basically like one road. And (laughs) so it's just a giant circle and there's no navigating involved. And it was all road riding and it was just pretty, it wasn't easy. It was really hilly and bad weather. But um, I started realizing too that with those road riding circuits, there's really gnarly traffic and your rates of accidents are a lot higher and it's just less enjoyable when you're worrying about dying in a motor vehicle accident the entire trip kind of ruins it yeah it ruins it a little bit so then when i started finding out about the more bikepacking style routes i reconsidered my rig and started doing more of a mountain bike setup and the traffic just dropped off completely because car people don't want to get sprayed by gravel and have their car, you know, getting damaged. So usually job done, you got to keep it. clean. So people will avoid gnarly gravel roads. And then I found out 
those are the most scenic and fun to ride because there's less traffic and the gravel noise that's constant and the scenery just makes it feel like more of an adventure and less of kind of a gnarly commute, which is how the road tours started to feel a little bit. So between trying to rope in a couple of research stations and learn what they're doing there and then finding just the most scenic gravel that I can find. And also if you can rope in a little bit of trail, it's even better in terms of the camping because no cars can get into the campsites when they're hike a bike only. So that was really rewarding finding these amazing campsites like the one that we experienced on the bikepacking summit where Mm. you can't really drive all the way to where you're going to pitch your tent. And that just completely empties the place out. Yeah, my favorite signs are the ones that say bikes, horses, hikers only, you know, like no cars. Definitely. Or just road closed and you duck the bar and then you're riding these amazing logging roads for a week straight and you don't even see a single other person. Uh, You're speaking you're speaking my language. Totally. (laughs) So uh, let's talk about Spoon the World. What is uh, I know what Spoon the World is. Um, I actually have been uh, working with my 10-year-old daughter. I bought her her first knife. We've been learning knife safety. I've actually shown her your Instagram and your videos, and we're like working up to... So my goal is to do a spoon with my 10-year-old daughter. And that'll Amazing. be... Uh, hopefully the next time you do it. I know it's kind of shut down right now with COVID-19. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, let's talk a little bit about Spoon the World. Where'd that come from and everything? Okay, so it started actually, I think almost, geez, I don't even know how long it's been. I think like a year and a half ago. I yeah. read an article in Outside Magazine about this old guy who carves wooden spoons with beautiful painted handles and he hides them kind of in plain view on the Appalachian Trail for through hikers to find. And then there's like a little note inside with his email. And when you find one of his spoons, you're supposed to email sort of your life story and why you're doing the hike to him. And I just loved that so much. And his spoons were so beautiful. And I just got the idea to carve my first wooden spoon and see how hard it was. And then within a few hours, I just instantly carved a spoon, like no problems from YouTube (laughs) videos. And I was like, whoa, anyone could do this. And so I went on my Instagram and I was like, does anybody in the whole world want to do a spoon swap where we, you send me your address and I'll pair you with someone else in the world. You'll know that they also love riding bikes because they follow me. So you'll instantly have something in common and you have 30 days to carve a spoon and mail it to each other. And I was like, uh, it's kind of a lot of effort and it's not for everyone. So I'll see how many people want to join. And I was expecting maybe 10 people or something. The next morning I woke up and I had 220 addresses from people around the world. And I was trying to match them up in Instagram DMs and it was a nightmare. (laughs) And it was, I just never expected that amount of interest. And so I've learned a lot since then. And then, um, I, since then I started using Google drive spreadsheets and so people will fill out a Google form and then it'll populate a spreadsheet and I'll kind of drag everyone into two columns to match them all up. But then I found out, uh, as the group got bigger, a lot of people liked the idea, but they didn't want to actually do it. 
So they would sign up and then not carve a spoon and just forget about it. And then the other person that sent them a spoon would be devastated. And the amount of hours of emailing back and forth got to be pretty insane once the group hit 900 participants, oh. and which it's around 1,000 now, I think. And so I started charging a $5 fee, mostly to cover the admin time of the weeks of emails when I do another exchange, but also just as sort of like a nominal silly fee, which cuts out the people that aren't serious. So we had a massive drop off in people that just blew it off, but signed up to kind of get swapped and then not do it. So it was a tough decision to do because I really want it to be this really cool community thing, but it just solves so many problems. And um, so now we're in the fourth exchange right now currently, but everything got put on hold because, because it's a community effort. I wanted to put a poll on there to see if folks felt comfortable receiving a spoon from another country that's been through the whole post service. It puts extra stress on the post service, which is already really stressed. And then a lot of people just didn't feel comfortable getting packages right now that have been handled that much. So um, I I personally felt comfortable with it, but I'm also exposing myself every day at the bike shop. So it was a tough call, but I basically just was like, okay, everybody better carve the sickest spoon they've ever made in their life because you have Uh, sort of a couple months to make one or make multiple, and then they'll be set up for the next few exchanges. But, um, yeah, it's been magical. If somebody uh, wanted to carve a spoon now, like can they sign up now or is there no sign up or anything? Yeah, there's no sign up or anything because um, I already finished registration for the fourth one and matched everyone up and then closed it. And so basically you've got 30 days to carve and mail your spoon. And so we just put the actual mailing of the spoons on hold, but um, the swapping had already been finished. And I also forgot to tell you uh, about maybe six months ago, I changed the name to Spoon Outside to make it easier uh, for people to find. And I thought I it was like a funnier I mean, name. I was just Instagramming and I couldn't find it. Spoon yeah, outside. Sorry. Here we are. Yeah. And then I thought I was going to make some patches for sale for it and stuff. And Spoon Outside fit a little bit easier and was also kind of like funnier because all of us bikers love to spoon too. <laughs> Coffee outside. You know what? I want to start outside. Uh, my movement is whiskey outside. Oh my gosh, I'm so into that. Yeah, that's mine. Is whiskey outside? You have spoon outside. I don't know who coffee outside is, but oh my gosh, like half of the world, everyone loves good coffee outside. Yeah, I'm. I like the whiskey at night and then the coffee in the morning to get me going yep. again. <laughs> and then tea in between. Oh, uh, there you go. Yeah. Very nice. Yeah. Pepper, thank you so much for uh, coming on the podcast. You are one tough astronaut. <laughs> thank you. I don't know why that says that, but hilarious. I'll take it. And thanks you're, for you're, having me. This was so fun. Yeah. Well, you know, it it really made me a little bit sad when I read your post yesterday and it said that you, or you said that you're a, you see things as glass half empty. It's, it's the thing I'm working on, you know, and I think it's a lot of it is, yeah. is just my past and where I came from and expecting that things won't always go as planned, which I think makes for a really smart bike packer 
in the end because I am prepared for anything. But it is really important to me to keep working every day. Happiness isn't something that you're just born with or that you just, it falls on your head one day. It's a, a constant effort and it takes a lot of really hard work that sucks a lot of the time. But, That's a very good point, and I agree a hundred percent. I've I'm fortunate that I have found uh, happiness, but it took a lot of work, and it took the, going through a lot of trials um, and just challenges in life. So I appreciate you coming on and being so honest about uh, some things that you have personally struggled with, and giving a you know peeling back that curtain of Instagram a little bit, and and letting us peek into your life. But for me, I'll tell you that I, I appreciate the content you put out there. I appreciate who you are. And uh, it's been a pleasure to get to know you personally. Um, so, yeah, thank you. Thank you for coming oh, on. And thank, thank you for being so here. Thank you so much. Thank you for all the insightful questions and for shining such an awesome rad spotlight on so many female riders. It really means a lot. Oh, I'm glad you brought that up. I meant to mention that... Uh, First, I'm glad you noticed that it's like 50-50. My goal with the podcast is to have 50-50 men and women. Uh, oh my gosh, that's I, amazing. I'm a I'm a dad to two girls. Like yes. what kind of fucking world do I want to leave behind? Like Yeah, uh, totally. It, and, and I tell people all the time, it's not hard to find badass women to talk to. Yeah. Like it's not, they're, they're everywhere. This isn't like, a, I don't know. Uh, I don't, I don't want to go down too much of a rabbit hole, but I love women. I love men. Yeah. I love, I love <laughs> like, let's just all yeah, talk. Like we love You're people. Gonna... Like yeah. we want a diverse experience represented. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you for sharing your experience because it yeah. is valuable. It's, thank you it's, so it's much. Good. All right. Thank you. All right. All right. That's it for today's episode. Uh, I hope y'all enjoyed that one. We went kind of deep and probably didn't talk about uh, bike stuff, bike tours, and bike trips as much as I or maybe you would have liked to, but I think the conversation that we had and the things that we talked about are very important. Um, To me, they're more important than the bike trip, Um, and I know this is a bike podcast, but you know, we got to take care of ourselves. Uh, We we need to have... uh, what are we here for if it's not to find happiness, to be happy in your own skin, to live in your own head and like the person that you are? That's just so important. Uh, for me, riding bikes, getting out into nature is a very large component in my mental health and my happiness. Uh, and so for me, those two topics dovetail almost simultaneously. So I hope you all are doing well and taking care of yourselves and and making yourself and your own personal happiness a priority. I would like to have Pepper back on. We uh, talked about on the podcast about doing it over on Shifting Gears, which is a Patreon-only podcast that I'm slowly rolling out. But it, I think it'd be great to have another chat with her and only talk bike stuff because she has, I'm telling you, whenever we were at the Bikepacking Summit, she has got some great stories and I'm really sad we didn't get into them. But uh, it sounds like we're going to do another episode and I think on that one, we'll just, I think it should have some ukulele playing, some puns, um, and talking about bikes, uh, some of her great bike stories. 
Um, all right, everybody, thanks again. Uh, and one more time, if you're getting value out of the show, uh, do me a favor, head over to bikesordeath.com and contribute any little old way you can. Uh, not asking for much, just a little bit goes a long way. I really mean that. And lastly, not just because it's fun, but because it's also important, please go ride your damn bike. You load up your bike, you ride away from home. You could be with your friends or you could be alone. You ride for a day or maybe more. You just love being in the great outdoors. Everything you need is strapped to your bars, including that new pillow you got from Santa Claus. And then you think, oh shit to yourself. You left that super lightweight tent on the living room shelf. Bikes.